It's an industry that I generally love. I have a passion for. I, I, I eat, sleep, I live for fitness. No, you need to be obsessed. You need to wake up, think about it. You need to go to bed, think about your clients, think about your progress, think about what you can do better. Genuinely, like, just be like patient and take your time. Like that, that is like, you've got to take it all in, in the right steps. You've got to nail what you do in person before you go and like. I don't like to talk about fear. The fears is usually something that makes your worries real. You are listening to the Coaching Ignited Show, where we bring you stories and insights from coaches, fitness professionals, and industry experts to help you expand your business and reach your goals. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. My name is Alex Povey. You can subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite apps, including Spotify and iTunes. The Coaching Ignited movement is on a mission to help coaches and personal trainers increase their sales and reach their full potential. If you wanted to find out more, please head over to coachingignited.com. And if you wanted to connect with us on social media, all the details can be found in the show notes. Now let's get into today's show. So on today's episode of the podcast, we've got Lee Bell, and he's taught over 1,000 personal trainers through his seminars, lecturing at Sheffield Hallam University, and his education company, TRA Performance. And Lee is extremely knowledgeable. I was a bit over my head in this podcast with the amount of knowledge and things that he knows. And uh, he's a writer for Strength and Muscle, T Nation, and he's even spoke at Body Power. So Lee really knows his stuff and he's got an awesome website packed full of great content that you guys should check out. So this is going to be a great one for you geeks and people that really like that higher level education and uh, really just getting down into the nitty gritty of training. And we talk about the volume of personal trainers coming into the industry. We look at the training from the inside out because Lee is really immersed in the training and, and bringing people into the industry. And then we look at advanced education and restructuring things to really perfect yourself as a personal trainer. And we drill into all kinds of little topics like niches, specialization, and what successful trainers are doing to further their education. And there's loads of other little nuggets inside this. So I'm sure you're gonna love it. I'd love to get your feedback as well on this one, guys. So feel free to reach out to me um, or post any comments on social media. Welcome to the show, Lee. Um, awesome to have you here, buddy. Let's um, let's kick things off. Let's talk about how you got started. Um, where did it all begin for you? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Um, I... I'm going to give you the abridged version. I think that would probably be wise with the time that we've got. So I qualified as a fitness instructor 20 years ago now, which is a, a frightening number to be throwing out there, to be honest. Um, I My first, I guess, introduction and taste to the industry was as a volunteer gym instructor at 14 years old at a local community center, which I don't think would be allowed these days. Maybe it was a different world back then. but um, So I used to essentially just clean the gym, uh, tidy up, supervise, and and watch people lift a lot of weight, which was quite inspiring for a young guy that wants to get into training. So at the earliest opportunity I could, I did my fitness instructor qualification, and I was really interested in sport back then as well. So um, I decided to go and pursue a degree in sports studies, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And that was at Sheffield Hallam University, which uh, I believe you've been to too. Yeah, um, which we both went to. Not a bad yeah. uni. Yeah, absolutely Somewhat. fantastic, mate. Well, I work there now, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Some people that, call it uh, a poly, not a. I'll bleep that bit out. There's a there's a famous chant, right? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. So I um, so running alongside my degree, I started working in a gym. Um, it was a tennis center gym, so there was a, there were elite athletes on site. There were also kind of general population clients too. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, did my personal trainer qualification too, and kind of set up as a self-employed personal trainer, but also as an employed gym instructor as well. So it was kind of the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, what I quickly discovered after a year or two of training people was I was really more interested in the educational side of personal training as opposed to the actual coaching of clients. And what I mean by that was I've got clients that come to see me for programming and they want to achieve a a set goal. So let's say they want to achieve a particular body composition or they want to be able to lift a particular weight, whatever that might be. Now I'm there to provide that service, but my interest was all about the underpinning side of their journey, how they're going to get there and why. And to be honest, clients weren't really that interested in that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm sat there talking about mitochondrial density and they're just kind of like, but what do I weigh on the scales, Lee? That's all I need to know, you know? <laughs> just thinking <laughs> out with them and they're just like not having yes, any of it. Exactly. So I was like, right, I know what I want to do now. I want to work in education. So I went back to university. I did a PGCE and then I contacted the company that I, was, that I did the personal training course with. We were only a small company back then. I said, right, this is what I want to do. I want to work for you. I'm going to give my time for free. I want to come in. I want to learn how to assess. I want to learn how to teach. I just want to do what you do for a living. And and luckily, they they kind of let me come on board. So I did all my assessor qualifications and the internal verification stuff and all the the qualifications that you need, essentially, to deliver professional qualifications. And I did that then for 10 years, not voluntary. I ended up getting a job after I qualified. But So I taught the gym instructor and personal trainer qualifications and all of the other professional certificates for 10 years. Really, really enjoyed it and met hundreds of personal trainers, met lots of good people. And that kind of opened up a lot of doors and a lot of avenues to what I do now, which we'll get onto shortly. Um, As part of that, sports science students still would need to do professional qualifications to work in personal training. So I then kind of got sent in to universities to deliver the professional courses in an academic setting. And I guess you very quickly realize that you feel fraudulent in that environment. So I was like, right, I, I need to go back and I need to learn more. So I went and did an MSc in exercise physiology just out of interest, to be honest, because I really, really like that kind of stuff. Um, off the back of that, I then started doing associate lecturing in universities. And currently now I work as a lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University as well as doing a multitude of other things. I, I like to get my fingers in all kinds of pies when it comes to the fitness industry. So I've worked on NHS contracts for exercise interventions for controlled medical conditions. I've delivered academy education programs for elite athletes. Um, I've worked with individual elite athletes. I've, I've done all kinds of stuff, basically, and uh, I absolutely love it. So, so what do you find the most challenging out of all the things that you do? being honest with you, I think the most challenging thing is that there there is so much funding, there is so much need for personal trainers right now that we are pushing a lot of people through that qualification. And it's knowing that the success rates are relatively low compared to other industries. The challenging thing for me is having to teach a set syllabus that doesn't necessarily prepare personal trainers for the real world and the real industry. Now, there's an obvious emphasis on things like, do you, can you label a bone? Do you know muscles? And, you know, can you deliver a, a stock exercise program? But then not necessarily having an opportunity within the syllabus to say, right, 
However, in the real world of personal training, this is what you need to prepare for here. This is what you need to be aware of there. And like I say, it's kind of knowing that unless you hit a niche market, you're super motivated, you're super knowledgeable, kind of things are not on your side, I guess. So what what do you think's missing? Because you're saying that there's like a low success rate compared to other industries, right? So being so immersed in the industry, what do you see from the inside that's missing? Yeah, sure. So I think, I mean, the statistics are always changing, but I think that some, the the survival rate, the, the lifespan of a personal trainer now is sits somewhere around six months, which is a frightening prospect, to be honest. So the way I see it is that the the personal trainer course is really just a starting point. It teaches you the absolute bare essentials of what you need to be able to program safe and effective exercise within our industry. It doesn't teach you to be successful. You know, it's a springboard into going out there, learning your craft, gaining experience, doing further education, attending seminars, learning from the right people, and basically creating a portfolio of different clients um, to work out what you enjoy, you know, Um, and then hopefully from there using that to excel in your industry. So, so, so what do you think, um, is some of the key things that are missing? So say if you could build your own training for these personal trainers and you could reconstruct it, um, how would you put it together if you've thought about that? Yeah, sure. So there's, there is a real need for more versatile dynamic exercise programming in what we do. Um, in the sense that yes, you can get away with stock programs. You know, if you, it it, it all comes down to thermodynamics and physics. If you give someone the right exercise, also if you give someone an exercise program and you monitor their calories and you kind of get on the the right side for fat loss or deficit or, you know, for for muscle growth, you want to kind of go into a surplus, um, it'll work. The question is whether it's optimal for the clients and that's where we need to investigate further. So the way the personal training course is run and set up is it's very much about um, delivering a, a very basic program, but that's kind of all it does. Um, there needs to be that real necessity to look at more developed and more detailed exercise programming. That for me is an absolute key thing for our industry and something that personal trainers really kind of need to invest time to go away and learn about what types of clients they're training, but then what types of programming suit that client for optimal results. Okay, makes sense. Mm. So in terms of going forward into sort of 2019, what are your kind of views on the market, um, personal training as a whole? And uh, where do you see things going with, with the personal training market? Um, less and less am I involved in personal training qualifications now. What I found is that being on the other side of things, so getting emails and phone calls and messages from personal trainers kind of saying, look, like this is what's lacking. This is what I need to learn more about is why I now have set up routes for personal trainers that have already qualified, uh, looking at different kind of experts in industry, setting up seminars, webinars, uh, and and podcasts ourselves to try and build a community for personal trainers to continue their education. Is this um, the TRA performance education that you? It is, mate. Yeah, it is, and and we've been very lucky. Myself and and Dr. Paul Rimmer, that um, co-owns the company with me, we 
So what we identified very quickly was that, particularly in the north of England, after after qualifying as a personal trainer, other than going on a degree, there really isn't much out there for people to um, immerse themselves in, in further education. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't even necessarily need to be institutionalized education. It can be just attending things like seminars and listening to great podcasts. And we have been looking that we've been able to kind of access some fantastic experts from around the world, you know, fly them over to Sheffield, get them to deliver their talks and try and keep the costs as absolutely low as possible to try and create this community hub for for personal trainers to come and sit and listen, learn, ask questions. And, and importantly as well, network with each other. You know, we, although we, I guess we kind of, if you boil it down, are competing for the same clients. We're all in this together to create what should be, you know, an absolutely fantastic industry. So you seeing a, a certain type of caliber of people coming through TRA performance, is it a certain type of individual that you're getting? Because I can't imagine a huge amount of people going above and beyond to equip themselves. There'll be, there'll be a portion of them, but what, what sort of caliber of people are coming through? Completely. And to be honest, there's a certain sense of irony in that the ones that we find are attending seminars or purchasing products or we kind of see are attending other seminars, not just at TRA, are the ones that are already successful. And I guess that there is the key indicator is the successful personal trainers identify quite early on that that's not the end of their journey. Once they qualify, there's always a necessity to learn from different people to create these avenues to create these networking opportunities to continue learning because even though they're doing well now there's always an opportunity to enhance your business enhance your portfolio and you never know what's going to happen with current clients you know they move on and and that always happens that's a natural part process of personal training and then it's it's knowing exactly what to do to get new clients how to train them properly to get the best results so that they become advocates for new clients. And and that there's the journey. And it's frustrating in that, you know, numerous times in a week I, I get messages, you know, Lee, I'm struggling, I can't get clients, or I've got this client, what should I do to train them? They've got this particular issue and I don't know what to do. And it's just look like go out there and learn, go out there and try. There's so much out there that you can do as a personal trainer to enhance your business. But you'll not get that from a message from someone. You know, you need to go out there. You need to try these things. That, that for me, is the the frustration, I guess. So you're having, like, quite a lot of one-on-one contact with these personal trainers on a day-to-day basis as well in terms of them in their jobs, in their roles, trying to grow their businesses. Do you get that kind of feedback, that, that instant feedback from all these guys that you've worked with? Oh, most definitely, yeah. I mean, again, you know, I, I, I've been lucky enough to teach probably close to a 1,000 personal trainers now, you know, a number off the top of my head. Wow. And, um, yeah, that's I guess that's what happens by running, you know, quarterly courses um, at numerous institutions for 10 years. Um, and I get a lot of messages. I get, and, and this is, you know, one of the best parts of the job is so many messages from people saying, like, oh, you know, I'm doing particularly well or I've just got this new job. I'm, I'm really proud. And for me, that's fantastic is knowing that people are yeah, using – they're the good ones. <laughs> they do really, really well. And like I say, it's just the frustrating part for me is just kind of people where it's just uh, I've got this client and I don't know what to do. What should I do? And, you know, the first obvious answer for me is, well, if you don't know what you're doing with them, send them somewhere else. Send them someone, someone that doesn't know what they're doing. You know, just have a bit of humility. It, you know, you might you might get four, six, eight sessions from that person, but when they kind of realize that you don't know what you're doing, they're going to leave and they're going to move elsewhere. Um, either 
move them on to someone else or invest some time in learning some new skills. That That's the kind of responses that I give. But where possible, you know, I always try to improve the knowledge of people that are getting in touch with me because ultimately they're spending their time to get in touch with me. However, there does become a point where I guess after a while you see that people are using you. And, you know, I've had endless cases of people saying, Lee, what's the answer to this? You give them the answer and then all of a sudden they're posting something on Facebook and giving you no credit and you're just like, ah, right. uh, Yeah. So they're being uh, lazy to begin with and then they're taking full credit for your answers and positioning themselves as an expert. Yeah, most definitely, mate. And I guess, you know, is that that just within the personal training industry? I've no idea because I've never worked in any other industries, to be honest. I think I tried being a plasterer for a week once. Didn't like it, went back to gym training. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I can only speak for personal training industry, but we do. We just kind of find that once a personal training course is done, we find this real broad category of how motivated, how knowledgeable, how willing people are to be successful. And, you know, some people are in it for the right reasons because they want to help people. Some people are in it for the wrong reasons because they just like taking lots of selfies and, you know, invariably don't last that long in industry. But, you know, if I can be a small part of what drives forwards this absolutely beautiful industry that we work in to be the best that it can be, then I, I sleep happy at night, mate. And that, that's something that I, I am proud of. So what would you define as a good sort of fitness expert, someone that's, you look at them and you go, yeah, they tick a lot of boxes. They're doing it right. So the the good ones for me is having a great underpinning knowledge, not necessarily of the deep textbook physiology, but the application of that physiology. So it's understanding how the human body works, but then being able to apply that to individual clients. So a, a real humility for their existing level of knowledge and an understanding that they they can and always should be learning more but understanding application. So letting coaching lead the science, I guess, would be the the summary point that I would I would conclude that with. The bad ones, I don't know, mate. I guess from almost an outsider looking in, because I don't personal train people anymore, it's trying to create business with the same approach over and over again, which is very much about that person. It's very much about selfie, 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 or me, 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 or look what I can lift. And, you know, I don't know. As a client, do I find that inspiring? Yes. Do I think that that links to my own performance and the ability for that person to get me to reach my goals? Not necessarily. So I guess, you know, what is a bad personal trainer? In my eyes, it's someone that puts themselves first and not the client. I guess that's how I'd summarize that. Yeah, it's a fair point. I think think a lot of people kind of get sucked into their own existence a little bit Mm. and forget that someone's paying them for a service and they need to get them a result. Yeah, definitely. I I, I guess, I I don't know if you were the same, Alex, but the majority of people get into this industry because they like to lift him, right? I I, I think that's that's pretty true to say. But at some point there has to be this this switch flicked of, right, it's now – it's not about me. It's about the people that I'm working with. It's about the service that I provide for that person so that they get the results. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you've also got to appreciate, because I realized this in my own business quite recently, that, and it's going back to you versus them, like your pace and your way of doing things 
is not always the pace of the client and the way that they want to do things. Particularly if you're, as we just said, a lifter, someone that likes to train or a bodybuilder, and you've been doing that for for many years, you've got um, quite an intense level of training. But coming into the industry, not everyone's going to want to train like that. And so you kind of have to adjust and be flexible and mold yourself to different clients I think that's one of the tricky things that people struggle with as well. It is. And and, and in my eyes, there are two ways to, to approach that. The first is do as many qualifications as you can, read as many articles as you can, listen to as many podcasts about as, as, as diverse a subjects within exercise and fitness as you can. And that gives you then, I guess, um, a jack-of-all-trades kind of multi-niche approach. But that's difficult. That's difficult to kind of... I guess, excel in any one particular area. And and in my background, I guess I, I kind of did that in that, you know, I did pre and post nail as, as a 17 year old guy. And like, really? Like, was, was that a niche that I was ever going to excel in? Probably not. Um, but it does work for a lot of personal trainers. So it's, 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 I guess, approaching as much general population clientele as possible. On the flip side of that, and this is something that has worked well for me in the past, um, has led to my kind of current area of study and has worked for a lot of personal trainers is just going in hard on a very specific niche. So, oh, you want to work in muscle building? Right, that's what I'm an expert in. That's what I'm going to do with you, right? Someone else comes to you, they don't want muscle building. No, that's not for me. Like, go and see someone else. Because you invest more time, more resources, more energy into learning one specific topic, you do become an expert in that area. And okay, granted at face value, you might think, hmm, is that limiting my net that i can cast across potential clients maybe but once people see that you're carving that niche out they come to you you get known within that that's the muscle building guy you know um and there's there's, i guess there's two ways to see it there's there's advantages and disadvantages of both approaches i i agree with the niche approach though and uh i'm a big i'm a big advocate of that um but i think it's timing as well yeah, I think sure. getting the timing right. Obviously, if you're just coming into the industry, you've got no experience. You don't know what you like, what you don't like, how to get results. I think it's a good idea to just throw yourself into the into the ocean and just gen pop it, yeah. hit everyone, see what you like, see what you don't like, taste, try, and then once you figure out, okay, I like this particular of your market, and I've got five or six clients or even ten clients, and I'm not. Um, struggling to pay the bills you can be a bit more selective and you can then start carving out that niche right 100 percent, mate i could, honestly i could not agree with that more you've got to try things you, you, you've got to try you know working with muscle building clients you've got to try the fat loss clients you've got to try the maybe the the control medical conditions if that's something you think you might be interested in you have to try these things i guess it's a little bit like a funnel like any type, type of funnel you, you you're going quite broad you see what's happening, you play around with things and then, okay, right, I don't like that. Let's get rid of this. And funnel gets a little bit smaller and then, okay, let's see what we've got next. Right, I don't like that. Let's get rid of that. And eventually you narrow it right down to the type of clients that you want to work with. Now that doesn't happen overnight. You're completely right. And that does take time. You need to kind of cut your groove. You need to work out exactly what it is that you want to do. But this is where for me, it's, it's about success, not necessarily an income, success is what you do for your job and you enjoy it and that's where I think people that's where I see the successful trainers getting to is not only are they making decent money 
but they're working with clients they want to work with and they're absolutely loving what they do. And, you know, when you put it like that, like that's what personal training should be all about. And I guess, you know, we walk into any gym in the UK, go over to the boards where the PTs kind of have their profiles and how many times do you kind of see, you know, um, come and see me for fat loss, muscle building, kettlebells, da, 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 and just just basically the same list. And you know, if I'm a, a prospective client, and I've got two, three hundred pounds in my back pocket. I'm just like, I don't. Who who do I choose? Like, you know, do, do I base it on right? Uh, the only difference now is what they look like. Uh, okay, I'll just go with that person there. Or you know, if, if we say right, let's look around the gym. Oh, that person there, they're, like, they're energetic. You know, they've got a good personality. Right, let's go and see them. But just based on face value and list of things that you might want to work with clients. I see that being quite limiting. You know, I walk into the gym and I'm just like, right, I want to lose a few pounds. And I say on a board, fat loss, like that's all I do with clients, right? You want to lose weight, you want to lose body fat, just come and see me and I, I, like, I'll sort you out. Anything else? Nah, don't bother. Like that's that's what I think PTs need to be brave eventually with and uh, hit the niche. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, when it comes down to the money factor, because that's what people are going to think of initially. Mm well, what if I don't make enough money? What if I can't find enough clients because I'm niching down? But like you said, once you start niching down, you become known as the expert. And once you become known as the expert, you start cutting through the noise and cutting through the PT board if you're offline Mm. or cutting through social media if you're online, right? Completely. Because people can then differentiate you and see you in the crowd and you're going to resonate with certain people. And as you carve out that niche and you become the expert, mm. you can charge more anyway. Yeah, definitely. So Because you can get better results. Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's think. So, all right, there might not be initially as many clients coming through the doors or going into the bank account or however you want to phrase it. But how many times have, you know, some of your listeners maybe got a client who wants a very specific goal? Let's just say that, I don't know, they've got, asthma or something like that and you know you're like oh i uh, I don't know what to do with that client so right what do you do you go to the assm prescriptive guidelines you're reading through the fit principles for um like restrictive lung you know training that kind of things right how many hours do you spend researching for that client right so by having a niche area you are offsetting all of the additional stuff that you need to do with a wider audience because you're channeling down it's like right well I don't need to do any reading around this client because I know exactly what I'm doing with them. And the nearest analogy or or example I can give to that is that I'm currently doing a PhD in overreaching and strength training, right? It's a pretty novel area. I'm really interested in it. Generally, um, that's the kind of stuff that I would do a podcast on. And I I can literally just press record and I can chat about it for hours and hours because it's something that I've invested a lot of time in. Uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert in it, but I, I, I know a fair bit about it. Um, that's all I do. Like that's my niche area now. So if people want to talk about overreaching, like come to me. If it's anything else, you know, if it's, you know, I, I don't know, whatever other example of training, like, no, that's not for me because I'd have to hit the books. I'd have to refresh my memory. Um, I wouldn't be a sure. Um, I'm certainly no expert in other areas. So maybe go and find someone else because I, I can't help you. That, that's an example I'm trying to think would rationalize the the kind of suggestion that I'm making. Yeah, and I think with that, when um, you're taking on a particular type of client, but you're refusing a particular type of client, if you're working in a facility with other guys that have got niches, there's no reason why you couldn't partner up with other people 
and you can just share the the client so if someone comes to you and it's not a good fit then you know the next best person for them to go to and i think um a lot of people overlook the power of having a network of pts where you can bounce leads off or send them to another place or refer them to a specialist and that's just adding strings to your own bow as a personal trainer and increasing your own value and expertise because you're providing value at the end of the day. Yeah, most definitely. And like I say, you know, we yes, we kind of are competing with other personal trainers for business, but there is that professional relationship that we can build with other personal trainers that we can bounce off back and forward. And, you know, first personal training business I ever run was a partnership business. I was I was 17, 18, and the guy that I set up business up with was nearly 60 years old. And that was just because we felt that as a business, legitimate business, we could um, control a larger market. You know, anyone that wanted to go with that guy that was like, okay, this guy kind of suits what I'm after. Right, you go to him. Anyone that wants to come, you know, to the kind of stuff that I'm offering, you come to me. And we, we kind of have this wider net, but we're still working with the kinds of clients that we want to work with. You know, someone comes to me, no, I know someone better. Right, you go to that guy there. And, you know, do we run the risk of then that person um, not sending clients back your way? Yeah, of course we do. But, you know, I guess that's the same for any industry and any kind of job. Yeah, and you, and you just look at it at face value. Like if you're passing over leads and they're getting leads, mm. but you're not getting any back, then maybe that's not the right partnership. Yeah. Same with any business. You just got to look at it with a business mind and go, is this working? No, it's not. And then you just you just dissolve it and you move on and create another partnership. I think a good one is girls and guys. Mm. So there's no reason why every um, male personal trainer and female personal trainer should have an opposite sex partner, right? Um, where there's going to be certain clients that come to you or certain leads that only want to train with a girl. Mm. And there's going to be leads that come to you only want to train with a guy, regardless of niche, regardless of expertise, that's just the way it is, right? Comfort. Yeah. So there's no reason why everyone shouldn't be just partnering up with each other like that. And that's a good one to start. That's a good um, partnership that you could start in any gym. I see a lot of guys doing it in the gym that I go to, and it's it's a smart business move. Yeah, I think. definitely. I think as well, I think there's been a real shift in personal training over the last couple of years is that more guys are now willing to learn and understand around the intricacies of female training so like the menstrual cycle for example um one of the mm. so i i spoke at body power this year uh, with paul from tra performance and we purposely decided to do a talk around female training so you know how how the physiology around the follicular phase may differ around the luteal phase and considerations as a trainer we decided to do that as two basically middle-aged guys because we wanted to break down barriers. Okay, the, the content was quite interesting, you know, if I do say so myself, but the idea was that, that we wanted two guys stood on stage purposely talking about things that some trainers are just like, oh, I'm a little bit embarrassed to actually mention that with clients. And we got some great feedback from it, to be honest. And it was something that I was interested in for a long time. And, you know, I do a lot of regular writing for fitness websites and a lot of my commissions before then and since then have been around female physiology just purely because there aren't many guys willing to get into that industry and like you said there's some real value in having business partnerships with guys and girls but there's also real value for guys in particular to just kind of go you know what i'm going to invest in this particular area of training um, and maybe that could be the niche as well for them yeah exactly because they could be that is a niche in itself a guy offering 
personal training services designed specifically for women, for women who want a male personal trainer. Yeah, definitely. So Portland... Uh, it, it, it is a literal niche. It, it is, and that's justified through research as well. Paul and I have got a journal article um, published in an Italian journal coming out soon, and we did a narrative review um, just on the evidence based around the relationships from male coaches to female athletes. So it was more in performance than what it was general population. And even at that high level, not many coaches are actually willing to ask questions with females because of, you know, like a, essentially an embarrassment factor. But um, once we get past that, I think that will change the way that males perceive the female market. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm interested though. How do you get to body power? What got you to that point <laughs> where you're on stage, you're speaking at body power? What was what was leading up to that point? What did you have to do? Or what do you um, know that you did that got you to that point? Oh, mate, well, the first thing I will tell you is it was a very odd experience. It was great. It was a fantastic experience. I'd not been – I went to the first couple of body powers, but I'd not been for a while. Um, so it was the first time I'd been um, for a good few years. and. It was a great setup, you know, really energetic, some great vibes, and um, it was nice to be back there. So what had happened was that um, Paul and I, we had, I guess what you call a headline slot, I don't know, it was kind of like on a, a peak time on a Saturday afternoon. Um, so as I said, we've got two middle-aged guys talking about menstruation cycles and all that kind of stuff. We were following what was essentially a bikini show. Um, so there was like 10 or 12 you know, female fitness models in bikinis, um, and it was just packed full of guys, as as you would kind of expect. And um, as soon as the ladies got off stage, the auditorium just basically emptied. And then Paul and I came on and were just like, uh, yeah, so we're kind of here to talk about <laughs> menstruation cycles. And like, it was just essentially an empty auditorium. But um, luckily, like, it ended up being quite full by the time we, we did our talk. But it was just such an odd experience. And, you know, I'm really lucky when I lecture, I get to talk in air-conditioned rooms and pretty silent and you don't have to shout and things like that but uh, there was like house music playing there was like strobe lights I'm talking into a mic I couldn't even hear what Paul was saying which to be honest like listening to Paul sometimes is uh, <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it was a strange experience but uh, very very odd very odd but yeah so how did I get there so I don't know I I had in my eyes I had a strategy um, a, a two-year strategy of what did I want to achieve to get myself into a market that I wanted to work in. And that was essentially with personal trainers. Now, when I'm teaching a personal trainer on a course, I have to get them in a room to give me an opportunity to educate them, right? Without them being in that room, they don't know who I am and I can't educate them and I can't improve the way that they go out into the market as a personal trainer. So I was like, right, what? how do I get to show more personal trainers what I do? So I, I started fitness writing so i set up a blog a free wordpress blog just started smashing articles out right looking back retrospectively they were awful they were basically like university assignments so they were like heavily referenced really long words quite esoteric um phraseology like basically just tough to read but in my mind i was like right what i want to do is i want to learn to fitness write because if i can get people that don't know me on my page and go right this guy is good they can then come to me and I can teach them the skills that I want to teach them to be successful in the industry. 
Yeah. So I wanted to get insights like T Nation, Muscle and Strength, Elite FTS, and things like that. But you know, as a an unknown, even with decent qualifications, you know, education guy, the, those sites would just not look at you. Just they don't know who you are. So I was like, right, I need to build up some momentum. So I started to kind of target the lower sites um, to kind of, I guess, build up a CV of, of writing and use that as a springboard. So what I did was I, I had a start point, I had an end point, and all I did then was just populate it with sites that had an increase in traffic and an increase in authority up until the bigger sites. So what I did for six months or so then was give free content out, take pay cuts to put content out, but building momentum all the time. Eventually, um, I contacted T Nation and Muscle and Strength, and they were just like, yeah, cool, Like, can you write for us and, and put some content out? And it was, for me, getting into that market that then opened the doors up for body power because otherwise all you are is just a kind of a physiology nerd who doesn't really do much within personal training other than teach a personal training course, like millions of other people. So for me, it was kind of like, right, this is what I do. You know, I've got some qualifications, but what I'm showing here is I'm cutting a very specific niche within fitness. And there are not many people in the UK that are writing for sites like that. That was really what opened the door for body power for me. And that's funny because what does it come back to? comes back to exactly. niche and a sp- specific area, right? Becoming yeah, an expert. Completely. Now, the, the way I did so the articles were quite diverse in content, but what I learned very, very quickly was how to write. So I, I, I still do a lot of writing now when I find the time. So I would say that I publish probably between five and 10 articles a week. Um, I, it is the majority of my income actually comes from writing now, strangely enough, but it is mostly ghost writing. Um, so if you, if your listeners are not too familiar with what ghost writing is, it's basically I write articles for sites, but my name doesn't go on them. Um, the beauty of that is that I still can put out what I consider to be evidence-based practice. So basically good science, um, but I can command a slightly higher rate of pay because um, I don't have to have my name and my links on there. So that works for me, but then I still am able to and get commissioned to do my own articles where people will contact me now and just kind of like, Lee, can you write us an article um, on whatever topic you want to write about and we will pay you money for that, which is fantastic. Or I'll populate things on one of my own websites um, just because one, I enjoy writing. Two, I enjoy educating people. And three, if I can get people onto my website, then they are obviously much more likely to um, work their way through one of my call to actions, which will be, you know, buy one of our online products, come to one of our TRA seminars or whatever it might be. And that that was the journey. That's the journey I've been on for the last kind of year or so. So were you always a good writer or did you um, develop that? And, no, I'm mean, an absolute shit writer, to be honest. Um, <laughs> the, the way... <laughs> So how so how are you ended up writing for T Nation and Muscle and Strength <laughs> um, and it getting the body power? You're building blogs. You've got all this content. Like, did you just figure it out as you just as you went? Passion along? and motivation and practice. Like like any skill, it requires practice. So literally, like I had to pull the first batch of articles off because they were terrible. 
but it served a purpose. So it's like, okay, right, what am I going to do now? If I want to be a great fitness writer, what do I do? So I then look at other great fitness writers. How are they writing? What kinds of language are they looking at? What what kind of sites and what, what do they want to sound like? Now, I'm quite lucky because I'll get commissions from some quite heavy sciencey sites where I can be a little bit objective and I can be a little bit journaly with the way that I write. And I'll get some sites contact me and they're just like, can you write me some science, but can you kind of crack jokes and swear in it and things like that? And I'm like, yeah, because that's something slightly different. But it just all comes down to practice. Like being part of an institution, having done three degrees, you get taught you get it's it's an it's an indoctrination. You get taught to te- uh, to write a particular way. And you have to kind of get rid of that because it's not university writing. You know, if you are a personal trainer, for example, and you're trying to click with a potential client who doesn't understand physiology, then why start using really long words about force curves and power outputs? Why not just say? you will get stronger and more powerful, you know? Why not use really basic language that connects with your readers? And that's what I think people that try, and this is the feedback that I've had from prospective writers, there's there's a fear that, oh, but I'll not come across as knowledgeable enough. Well, the question is, are you writing because you want to impress someone, okay, which is nothing wrong with that, or are you writing in a way that becomes so simple that that person who's reading it will go, I learned something there and I think I'm going to get in touch with this person now about personal training. It's a call to action within an article. It's showing someone that you understand how to explain something so basic that the people on the the ground understand it. For me, I, I'm allowed, I guess, to put a little bit more science in because my market are personal trainers to understand that science, but I don't need to impress them. I want them to learn something and that's a big difference between the two. Do you think it's do you think it's powerful because you're taking a complex subject and making it simple or could you achieve the same course to action with a simple subject just keeping it simple I, I think there's value in both ways I think it, you know you split test that you, you write a batch of articles that are really sciencey you write a batch of articles that are really really simple you get them out there and you see what works you know, if, if you've got the luxury of having your own website, look at your statistics. How many people are landing on that page? How long are they on that page for? That's a really big, important one because you might get a lot of people clicking on the page, but if after 10 seconds, 90% of them are off, you know that that article's just got no value because people are just not reading it, they don't understand it. And then kind of manipulate the way you write based around the feedback you get from clients and sales you get from clients as well. Ah, so you're getting you're getting feedback from the client um, or the prospect or the lead or whatever the person that's um, taking the call to action for then to you to take that feedback and then rewrite articles or create new articles to the effect of Completely, what they actually yeah. want. Change the way that you write. Change the way that your website is laid out. Change the way that you write your social posts based on the feedback that you get from your clients. So how long did it take you to get a site up and running and get it producing sales? Uh, the free WordPress one took about 10 minutes to set up. I think 
And that, see, I did this. I did this with my first personal training business. I, I think I spent more money on a logo, more money on merchandise and marketing than I think what I actually made in the first six months. I think I did it the wrong way around. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think a lot of people go uh, uh, make that mistake as well because um, I, I wrote about it today. I, I put um, created some content behind um, fast and slow marketing because you've got fast and slow yeah. strategies that you can use, right? And what you just mentioned, uh, most definitely the slow ones, the lo- the logos, the websites, the business pages. Yeah, they're good long term plays and they're good things to have in your arsenal or in your marketing mix. Um, and not disputing that you need them, but particularly if you're a face-to-face coach or personal trainer and you're not really operating in an online space, um, once you've ticked off the boxes with initial social media and stuff, everything just needs to be focused on the ground, just interactions Yours, and communication and, um, and getting weed. Um, but it's easy to get distracted by all the shiny objects like having a flashy website or a nice logo or business cards because it makes you feel like yeah, a business. Yeah, it does. Well, actually, you're not if you're not making any money. Um, and, and I guess it all comes down to, again, like where I make my money and my end user is maybe different to what a lot of personal trainers um, work with. Now, does that mean that my stuff has no value to personal trainers? No, not at all. It does um, because the, the the beauty about things like articles is it's evergreen content. So unless new science comes out that kind of disputes what you've written, and that does occasionally happen. It's, it's happened with a couple of my bits, which – Again, as a personal trainer, you should always then be willing to go back and change your thought process. That's that's evidence based practice. Um, but you know, you write something on a Facebook post, and after an hour, when you've got a few likes, it's gone forever. You know, and you can kind of repost it, but um, it, it it doesn't have the same impact as what it does if there is a website with an article that you can get people there, and you can keep sharing it every now and then, maybe every two or every three months either within that article or at the end of that article, you've got what you would class as your call to action, your CTA, which is join my email list. Do you want to know more? Contact me on this number. Oh, I'm also on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. Like me on these pages too. And then all of a sudden you're building momentum and you're building an audience off the back of one article that you can just keep sharing and share again. Um, it, it doesn't quite, it doesn't work with an, an organic Facebook post because the call to action doesn't work as well. And as we know, you know, you bang a website on there and kind of Facebook, you know, pull the arse out of the reach. Um, yeah, they just crush it because it's got an exactly. external link. Um, so it's, you know, will it work for everyone? No. Will it work for some people? Most certainly it will do. And But I think what we also need to bear in mind, and, and you've already kind of um, surmised this point, is that as personal trainers, you need to get people face-to-face. So can you sit at home all day like I do in my Star Wars pyjamas writing articles? No, you know, you need to balance that with actually getting out there and delivering sessions. That That's what your job is to do. So, you know, you can't hide behind a laptop, but it can be a very useful strategy too. So what's the future for TRA performance mm. education? Where do you see it going so in the Paul next 12 I, months? It's, it's a passion project, TRA. So it's not our full-time business whatsoever. It's It's truly an opportunity for us to sit and listen to people that we consider to be experts 
but give an opportunity for personal trainers, coaches, healthcare professionals, whatever it might be, to come along and get real value from those people too. Now, if we can continue to do this, then that's absolutely fine for me. What happens with any money we make is it just kind of goes into the next speaker anyway. So it's not something that we intend to make money from. It is, like I say, it's purely a passion project. So what we're looking at over the next 12 months is we have our speaker schedule set up until the summer. And we're looking at probably booking one more big name, which tend to be either um, American or Australian, um, probably for the back end of the year. So we've got some really fantastic talks. We've got a um, youth strength and conditioning um, conference. It'll be our first multi-speaker conference in January. And that's only £25 a ticket because I, for this one, I'm giving all of the uh, revenue to the Sheffield Children's Hospital Charity. Um, just because it's something I feel quite strongly about. So we've got um, Professor David Morley that's coming to do a talk. We've got um, various experts, either work as practitioners in elite sport or as lecturers in youth strength and health. So that'll be a great event. That's on the 17th of January. Uh, in February, we've got Nick Tominello coming over from Baltimore. Um, if if your um, your listeners are not familiar with Nick, you should be as personal trainer. He's an absolutely fantastic guy. Um, no academic qualifications per se, but he's an absolutely brilliant, knowledgeable personal trainer. He's won like the NSCA Personal Trainer of the Year award a couple of times. Things like that. He's um, he's an absolute great guy. Yeah, so he's coming nice. over to Sheffield. What what do you think he's going to be? What do you think he's going to be focusing on? In, um, so in, in he's this going event? to be doing strength what is, what is training the main for fat loss. About? Um, so he's going to do one day based around the theory of exercise programming for fat loss and then one day practical, which is kind of like a VIP ticket. Um, so the one day ticketing price on that is 150 and the, the two days, 250 is slightly more expensive. But um, the, the sales on that have been fantastic so far and rightly so because he's a great guy. Um, can I? Sorry, my, my little boy George has just walked in. Um, <laughs> do you want to? Let's get let's get him on the podcast. Is that all right? Let's let's get him on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. got an announcement, so, hasn't he? Do you want to tell Alex what you do for your weightlifting? So this is George, my boy. He's eight years old. <laughs> do you want to say hi? Hi. Yeah. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. Your your dad's been telling me about your your activities that you've got going on. Do you want to tell us what you've got going on? Nice. So what are you doing? Squats, bench presses? I do clean, clean and jerk, snatch and back squats. <laughs> He's getting too strong. Really? Yeah, I'm getting concerned. That's so impressive. George is, um, and, and he enjoys it, which is the main thing for me. But um the big thing is Good lad. that at 27 kilograms, he squats 40 kilograms. So uh, that's a frightening uh, relative strength ratio right there. Yeah, get some sweets. Go on, Are you training? No, I'm not. Really? So George is part of Hallam Barbell um, Weightlifting Club, which is run by Dave Hembra, um, and it's based at Sheffield Hallam University. And it's to be honest, mate, it's an absolutely fantastic club. The culture, the way it's coached, everything about it is fantastic. And the understanding of the way that kids are motivated around exercise is great. So it's not about how they look or necessarily how they perform, but it's instilling positive relationships with exercise at an early age, which then hopefully steers them in the right direction for adulthood and being active um, as adults too. I was always um, under the impression that it was dangerous to like lift weight or train anything more than body weight as a child. 
obviously I might have got that wrong or maybe it was just a mess. But yeah, what, I, what's your take I'm on tentative that? about discussing this only because it's not really my area of expertise whatsoever. But um, from what from what I'm led to believe, and, and obviously yeah. if people want to know more, come to the Youth Strength and Conditioning Seminar, um, 17th of January, 2019. <laughs> um, nice. So yeah, that, <laughs> good, good the, um, the whole stunted growth <laughs> thing, um, growth plate fractures and stuff came from some quite old, I think it was Japanese research during the war, and they kind of uh, correlated stunted growth with manual labor, not weightlifting, but manual labor. Um, what they didn't factor in was the fact that the, none of these kids were getting fed, so they were malnourished. And that's now become quite a dogmatic thing that I still get now. You know, if people say, oh, what's your little boy do? Does he play football? I'd be like, yeah, and he lifts weights. Oh, uh, is that not dangerous? And if you look at the the more... I guess, novel research that's coming out now, and there's some fantastic researchers working in this area. Um, no, if anything, it excels, uh, accelerates maturity. So it accelerates bone health, um, strength, coordination, so motor skills as a whole, confidence, which is obviously a big one. Um, and there's um, – so Helen Collins, who is based up in Dundee, she's going to be one of our speakers. She's just brought out a fantastic – uh, paper in Sports Med, which is a quite a high impact factor journal, um, looking at how strength training in children could be used as an intervention for weight management, and it's a really great paper that everyone should read. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do to to knock down some barriers based around kids lifting weights. But the way I see it is like this, right? So uh, George, for example, does a back squat. All right, pretty pretty tough work. That's not as tough as afterwards when he goes on a climbing frame and jumps off it at six foot and has to absorb eccentrically and obviously dissipate forces. So, yeah, mm, if you think about it that's like a that, good point. But, you know, it does Very plyometrics in a gym. Well, yeah, but then he goes and plays hopscotch in the schoolyard. It's plyometrics, you know? So, mm. Very true. Yeah, I'd like to get your advice on people coming into the industry. So new starters, but also people that have been in the industry for a while and just what they can do to step it up to become better coaches, um, provide better services and really just take things to the next level. Um, well, what would you say sure. to those? So one, one those key word for me is invest. So what I mean by that is invest time, invest time to learn your craft, to read, to watch, to listen, invest revenue in learning. So again, courses but not necessarily courses that give you cpd you know i do find that a lot of personal trainers are really hung up on the fact that certain courses give credits of which we kind of i think hopefully are moving away from as an industry but there are other things out there that provide a lot of value to your service that don't give you a numerical credit value um so there are lots of opportunities out there to listen to podcasts like yours of course to learn more um, opportunities to get on things like LinkedIn and just smash messages out to people, you know, network, learn, not being afraid to make mistakes, you know, like we talked about earlier, try and cast the net wide when you're new, try and work out what works for you, make some mistakes, learn from them, and then use that to improve the way that you deliver your service. Um, and then again, based on what I said earlier, just don't think that the business has to be all singing, all dancing, dancing, glitzy, glamorous, just get out there, you know, like even if it's just a 
crappy kind of logo that you set up for your page or, you know, y- your T-shirts are not, you know, dry wick material that, that's got logos all over them. It's like, just get out there and train people, all right? Make some money um, and then start to invest afterwards. Don't do what I did, which, like I say, I think I was... Uh, I think I was in the red for about six months. I spent so much on, on on all the stuff that wasn't really important. The important bit was that I learned my craft. I got out there. I coached, and I just got good at what I did. I was lucky enough to do that. Thank you. Very good advice. Plenty to take away there, um, and I'm sure there's been a lot of value here for for anyone listening. So I really hope you enjoyed it, guys. If you did, um, we'd love it if you headed over to. Um, your favorite platform and give us a quick review and give us some feedback as well would really like that so i'm going to put in some links to um your social media facebook your website and stuff but where's the best place for people to reach out to you or read your articles or find more about you and tra performance cool uh, all that good so stuff. you can get me at traperformanceeducation.com um, on Facebook, I have a page which is Lee Bell Performance Physiology. Um, but at the moment, probably the best place to kind of check out some of my articles would be on a website, uh, my website called themusclemechanicuk.com, um, which is a bit of an odd name. Um, I'm actually migrating everything over to a new site soon, which is just my name for the URL. But um, a while back, I was absolutely obsessed with the, um, the winding filament theory. So the way that titan, it's a passive elastic element that's involved with actin and myosin coupling. Um, it's it's called the muscle mechanic model. And I was like, I'm going to name my business the muscle mechanic because that is a really cool model that kind of means something to me, um, but also has some keywords in there that kind of tell people what I do. <laughs> the unfortunate thing, yeah, the unfortunate thing was that someone else kind of mm. pounced on that name and started running seminars and uh, I guess their ethos is not so yeah, not something I particularly agree uh, with. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm migrating everything here. over to leebell.co.uk very soon. But yeah, musclemechanicuk.com, you can check out a, a bunch of articles. But if you Google my name, most of them outrank my page anyway. So you can catch my T Nation and uh, Sigma Nutrition Elite FTS stuff. And uh, yeah, please, if you if you do if you do that. Nice. You've been geeking around writing for long enough to be right up there right, on the yeah. Google search engine. Yeah, but yeah, if anyone Optimized, does if anyone does read my stuff, yeah, please uh, get in touch and let me know what you think. Because you know, same same as everyone else, same as the message I'm trying to put across. We all need to improve what we do. So any feedback that's constructive, you know, <laughs> uh, would be much valued, and I would appreciate it to any of you if any of your listeners could do that. Awesome, great stuff. Um, head over and check Lee out, guys. Um, I think you're the geekiest guy that <laughs> yeah, we've had well, on the show true, so yeah. far. Um, you, you, <laughs> you definitely know your stuff. Um, after many hard years of work, by the sounds of it. Um, so hats off to you because you're obviously doing great stuff for the industry. So I just want to thank you so much for um, taking time to do this podcast. I mean. I know you've got loads of stuff on, so I'm very, very grateful for that. And um, oh, man, my yeah, absolute really pleasure. Really for you being it. here, buddy. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. If you did, head over to your favorite app and leave us a short review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you wanted to learn more about our products and services, head over to coachingignited.com. And if you wanted an awesome website built for your coaching business, head over to our partner company, sevectormedia.com. That's all from me. See you soon.